he came to accomplish. Matthew is consistently referring to the Old Testament, concerned that his writing be about Jesus and his connection with the, with the Old Testament. This shows us that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. We sing about this at Christmas time, don't we? Come thou long-expected Jesus, right? And we sing that because for 400 years there was silence, and then Jesus came. <clears throat> Matthew shows us that Jesus is to be the new and better Moses. An example of this is where he went up on the mountains. This is the same wording as Exodus 19.3, when Moses went up on the mountain to receive the law. And just like Moses spoke with authority, so now Jesus does the same. There's a new authority on the scene. At the end of the gospel, Jesus then says in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he says this, all authority, is it up on the screen? It should be on the screen. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here we see that the authority is given to Jesus, not to Moses. Teach what I have commanded you, Jesus says, not what Moses commanded. Matthew shows us that Jesus is the greater Moses. So the one who has delivered his people once and for all has given them the word to live by. The, maybe the mirror, if you would. Jesus is the long-awaited king. There's a new king, a new people being created. And, they've been, and they were created by Jesus. God has always been gathering a people to himself. And he wanted to, he wanted to give more than commands to obey. His plan was to give people new hearts, new affections, new attitudes. This was the message of the prophets looking ahead to the new exodus a greater and final deliverance from the sin's power and penalty. In Ephesians 2.8, you see, it says that you were once dead in trespasses and sins, but now been made alive. We are a new people created for a new kingdom in Matthew. Matthew's really trying to help us see this in his writing. So what it comes down to is this, is we need to stop trying to be someone that we're not. And what that means is turn the television off once in a while. Put social media down once in a while. And just be who God has called you to be, not who the world is telling you to be. It's time to hold up the mirror. The Old Testament anticipation of a people transformed by God's Spirit is the promise that we get to live in today. They were longing for this to come. And we are now in that time that they longed for way back in the Old Testament. Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to destroy it. To fulfill the righteous requirement. And this, folks, is good news. Good news. Here's the thing, though. The key to understanding the Bible and to understand these passages that we have in the coming weeks is this. We can't just dismiss these hard challenges of Jesus in the sermon to be humble, to not be angry, to resist lust and temptation, 
to give generously and to pray, and we think, well, that standard is just way too high for me. Can't do it. Sorry. Can't do it. Better turn away. Jesus is showing us that perfection is the requirement in the new kingdom, but he will keep the standard for us. He keeps the standard. We don't. This is the gospel, is that he was the substitute. Amen? He, he was the perfect substitute for us. We couldn't do it on our own. We needed Jesus. Because Christ fulfilled the law, he gets to set the standard, and by his grace, we get to step, in, step aside and receive the benefits of faith. So today, as we open up the word, I want you to be aware of your heart. Be aware of your heart. Over today, and then the next six illustrations after this, we have anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, and loving your enemies. Just, I want you to check your heart. What's beneath the surface? What's beneath that iceberg that you are? If, if, if we can only see this much of the iceberg, how much is underneath that? In your own heart, in your own life. Where do you get uncomfortable and want to say, Jesus surely didn't actually mean that? Or maybe, maybe you're saying today, I just I just have a little, a little anger. That's all, just a little bit. That's that's okay. I mean, that's that's okay, right? I can be a little angry sometimes and just fly off the handle sometimes. That's okay, isn't it? I mean, I'm not perfect, right? Well, I would, I would advise to be aware of your heart today. Let's pray before we get into God's word. Lord Jesus, center us. Convict us. Reveal to us what you would have us learn today about wisdom and folly and how anger is so much a part of wisdom and folly. Let us be a people who are not angry and who are reconciled to one another in perfect harmony, blood-bought unity. Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Matthew 5, verse 21 through 22. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. This is Jesus speaking. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Here's Jesus again, raising the standard of the law. Showing again that he is the authoritative interpreter and giver of the law. He equates murder with anger. Uh-oh. Some of us are saying, uh-oh. Ever been angry? 
Well, then you're guilty. Sent to judgment, put up to counsel, and sent to hell. According to this passage. Yikes. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus is making, more, making us more aware of the seriousness of our sin before a holy God. It's not just something we get to play around with anymore. Perfection is the requirement of the new kingdom. But because Jesus came to fulfill the law, so we look to him as our substitute. So what's he really saying? I think he's really saying something like this. So you haven't murdered someone. Great. Awesome. Good job. Congratulations. But since when is that the standard of morality? Since when is the standard of morality just not murdering somebody? I, I, don't, think, I don't think that's what the, the scripture is intended. But we like to push things to the edge as humans, don't we? We like to get things right to there with, with maybe gluttony. Right to there with our anger. Right to the edge where we're not quite sinning or maybe we think we're not quite sinning with lust. Right to there with not really being nice or loving to our neighbor. Right? We get right to the edge, we think. And we think we can play that line, don't we? Until we realize that we can't. So this is what that looks like. Man, this is us, us towing that line, is this. Man, that person creates a giant pit in my soul that I just can't overcome. I can't even look at them. What I mean by is not that I walk around with that growl, but that growl is right underneath the surface. Ready to come out when something doesn't go my way. That person cut me off in traffic. The waiter didn't seat me before the person who came in after me. The person at the post office cut in line. The Bible would call that foolishness. They would call that anger foolishness. We'll get to that in a second. Because Jesus says, why do you have anger in your heart against another human being made in God's image? Why the malice towards your brother or sister? Folks, we have that in the church towards one another. What kind of example are we setting for the outside world? We're setting an example of we're just like everybody else. Beware of your heart. Be aware of your heart. Let's keep reading verse 23 through 26. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand, out, hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, 
and you may be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Jesus is saying here that dealing with your anger towards another brother or sister, especially in the Christian family, is more important than bringing your worship offering to the Lord. Here's what it is in context of, of who Jesus is talking to. He's 80 miles, 80 miles from Jerusalem, and he's telling the disciples this. And he says, after walking 80 miles with an animal on your back, you spent all that time walking 80 miles with that money that you spent for that animal to be a sacrifice in Jerusalem. He's saying, you get to Jerusalem, and you're like, oh. I've got anger in my heart towards my brother. And he says, lay the offering down. And it's more important for you to walk back 80 miles than it is for you to come and worship the Lord with that sacrifice. He says, leave your offering and be reconciled. Folks, he knows the wickedness of our own hearts. Be aware of your heart. Living as followers of Jesus means to live reconciled lives. Jesus is the great reconciler. Now, my wife will tell you, she's, she's here today, I think, with the baby back there. Um, and uh, she would tell you that I am not the finance person in our house. So I'm going to use a finance example for you finance people. I'm Again, I'm not the finance guy. But... Reconciling in, in bank account terms is basically that the money you have coming in equals the money you have going out. So your money is reconciled. Am I right on that, by the way, for you financial people? For me, I just I, I open the app. I see how much money is in there that I'm allowed to spend or not. And then I go, and it's really dummy proof for me because it has to be because I'm a dummy. But, but Jesus is the great reconciler. He reconciled sinful people. We're the debts, by the way. We're not the money coming in, I promise. We're, we're the money going out. And Jesus reconciled a sinful people to a holy God. He can reconcile any relational break that has happened in your life today. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. Sometimes Father's Day might be a difficult day for you. But don't forget that Jesus can reconcile all relationships. Especially if it's a Christian brother or sister. But listen to this. The starting point of reconciliation and dealing with any sin is humility. True humility can only come from God. It's a spiritual act. And this is why we, we can only come to one another through Christ. Because if I come with my own agenda, and you come with your own agenda, ain't nothing happening good. Right? Again, I'll use my wife as an example. When I come into the, into the conversation we're about to have with anger in my heart, it never goes well. Ever. Because we both come in with the waiting for the other one to say something that makes us mad. But when I come humbly... And I say, babe, I'm sorry for the way I treated you in this situation. I should not have spoken to you in this way. I should not have done anything in response to what just happened here. 
if I come with that heart, it's real hard for her to be angry at me back, isn't it? But if I actually mean it, that's when it matters. If I just say, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that, she's going to see right through that. But if she comes and knows that my genuine heart is that I want to reconcile this relationship in Christ, in humility, that's when things change. Jesus is the author of humility. He holds the key to it. Philippians 2, 5 through 11 says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. What a beautiful passage. So Jesus was equal with God, but he emptied himself out for us. He did not become less God, but he withheld power to show humility. That's why, that's what we do when we act in humility. So men, dads, where you had on this? Being able to withhold power and act humbly towards your spouses, towards your kids. Put your pride aside. Be the first to cave. Show your kids and those who look up to you with humility. Say sorry. Say, I messed up. The other day, just a simple example. It's funny how God puts these examples in your life the week that you're about to preach something or that you're about to go through something. Um, because the other day I, I wasn't very nice to my to my second daughter Audrey. She she was asking something and it was kind of confusing. And I was doing something and I was kind of not really paying attention to her. And I was just downright nasty to her. I was like, I, I don't know, just go, you know, like one of those kinds of things, you know. And I, I don't go ahead. I don't I don't know. I'm busy, you know. Like she was inconveniencing me. How prideful am I? First of all. But it took the Spirit of God in me to show me, you need to go reconcile that with your daughter. And so I was able to go to her in all humility and say, hey, baby, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I talked to you that way. It's okay, Daddy. I no, 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 no. It's not okay. It's not okay. I'm sorry that I spoke to you that way. Please forgive me. And we hugged, and we're good. But. It takes a, a Christ-like humility to be able to go do that. Our sacred, most important religious duty is not as important as being reconciled to our brothers and sisters in Christ. So there's two messages here in this passage. It is to be reconciled and do not be angry. The first message is a ministry of the believer in 2 Corinthians 5, 
17 to 21, it is the ministry of reconciliation. That is our job as believers is to be reconcilers to one another and to Christ. But the second is what your mom tells your dad. Don't be angry. Don't be angry with them. So let me lean in here for a second on message two. Anger lodges in the heart of the fool. Anger lodges in the heart of the fool. James 1.19 says, be slow to anger. Proverbs 12.16 says, fools show anger quickly. Prudent overlook insult. Proverbs 29.11 says, fool gives full vent to rage. And why is this a problem? Because you're not leaving room for a time when something really bad happens. Let me tell you this. Spilled milk is not equal to a stranger trying to hurt your kids. And if you go full vent on spilled milk, you have no room to give anything else when something greater happens. They're not equal in response. If we are inconsistent when showing anger, we are inconsistent in imaging Christ to the world to the extent that our kids and the people who have watched us for years be angry at everything may one day say, I don't believe in your God anymore. How can they when we can't example it to them? So my grandfather passed away about two years ago, um, this past May. And uh, I knew him as a recovering angry man. So his whole later years, probably 50s, I'm 30-something. So his 50-somethings through his 80-somethings, he was a recovering angry man. Um, and, and, he would, and he would admit that. And so we went up to see him right before he died. And with a little, little background into my family, his... My grandfather has three kids. He has my, my aunt, my dad, and my uncle, so in that order. And my aunt and my dad are believers, firm in their faith, solidly aware that, that Jesus is their only hope. And my, my, my uncle, who is an awesome guy, the, one of the best personalities you'll ever see, one of the best hunters I've ever known in my life, and fisherman, but he wants nothing to do with God. And hasn't for years. I had a conversation with him in a bar once. Because it's the only place I could see him. And just poured out the gospel to him. In a way that he might be able to understand. Asking the spirit would move. And so far nothing. And my grandfather on his deathbed. He said. How guilty he felt. Because he knows that his anger is the barrier to my uncle being a believer. So if you don't think your anger affects people, just look in your own family. If you don't think your anger can affect others, my grandfather said, I'd give up my own salvation today if he could be saved. And I know for us dads, we all feel that way. That was a hard, hard thing 
to learn, but it was the last thing my grandpa taught me. Was I can't be that angry. There's no, it's not worth it. There's no reason to be that angry. Only the fool is angry all the time because it's not godly. It doesn't point to Jesus. So dads, don't let your anger be mistaken for boldness. You don't have to be angry to be bold. There's a righteous anger. Jesus at the temple is an example of that righteous anger. He could be angry without sinning. We can be angry towards injustice, towards sin. We can be angry but not sin. So don't let the sun go down on your anger. Ephesians 4.26. Remember that anger lodges in the heart of the fool. So if you're a fool today, people are going to have a hard time having a conversation with you. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in giving opinions. Proverbs 18.2. If you're wise today, then you're going to carry a mirror. This is the mirror. Because this tells us clearly that we can't be angry. And if we are, then we're just neglecting what the Word says. We seek to understand. We don't seek to give our own opinion. We seek to understand by asking good questions in conversation. Why do you feel that way? What happened? What were you thinking about? How did that go for you? This is what Jesus did. When they're hitting him at the end of his, his life, he's getting beaten. He says, if I've done something wrong, tell me. If not, why do you hit me? Jesus didn't say, I'm the son of God. What are you doing? Right? He said, if I've done something wrong, tell me. If not, why do you hit me? Hold up the mirror. Be wise. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are all someplace in our walk with you. We are all on this path towards obedience for those who believe and for those who are not believers. The truth has been proclaimed that you are our only hope. The only way to peace and reconciliation is through your blood that was shed, <clears throat> that we have access to because you've gifted us the ability to have faith in you, Lord. Lord, for the angry fool who's here today, Give him wisdom to see his folly. 
for those who understand their need of grace. Lord, just heap grace upon grace upon grace. For those who need to be reconciled, ask, Lord, that you, the great reconciler, would convict them and draw them to that reconciliation now. Lord, let us be a people who love you deeply and correctly in a way that we're able to to magnify your name through our relationships. That we aren't just here to say hey to one another. That we don't just come on Sundays because it's the cultural thing to do, but we come here out of love for you first and love for others. Let us not have that growl underneath the surface. But let us have a peace that surpasses all understanding. That consequences, circumstances, results don't lead us to anger so quickly. They lead us to more understanding of you and of the great hope that we have in you alone. We love you, Jesus. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. We're going to respond to God's word about